I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. The only way out is through. It's high noon for Wednesday, November 10th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Today is the 294th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden! So congratulations, commies! You have your story, you're sticking to it, Your story has turned out completely wrong, and nonetheless, you are sticking to it. And why? Well, because you are the people that are meant to be taken seriously by everyone else, no matter what it is you say or do. And the whole culture exists to prop up your point of view. And in some sense, you actually realize it. You understand that there is a safety inside your bubble. You are encouraged to continue to believe and repeat the exact things that you were conditioned to believe and repeat, and you do it dutifully as a servant of the state. And as a loyal servant of the state, you will continue to repeat the slogans, no matter how many times the state embarrasses you by reality proving you wrong. And it doesn't matter how many times it happens, because by the time you figure out what's actually true six months later, a year later, 18 months later, the conversation has moved on and you assume that everyone has forgotten where you stood. It doesn't matter that 12 months ago or 18 months ago, you dismissed all of the people telling the truth as crazy as conspiracy theorists. Because the state told you they were. And you couldn't find the path toward independent thought so that you could move beyond the story of the state media. You gained relevance and social credit for pretending that the people who knew more than you were actually just crazy. They were all lunatics. They were all getting high in the corner and coming to ridiculous conclusions, while you, you very, very serious person, were busy reading the COVID charts, reporting on how many cases there were. You were telling us that election fraud was very rare. It could never happen. Mail-in voting is totally safe. Fraud is just so unlikely. It just can't happen. And you said Trump was stupid, an egomaniac. He was unprepared. He was unqualified. He had no idea what he was doing. He was just a carnival barker, repeating nonsense in front of the world. And you, the very serious person, were filming yourself talking about important issues between selfies in your mask. You were a very, very serious person. And the news largely agreed with you, which is how you know you're right. And the censorship of the people saying you're wrong did nothing to convince you that maybe there was a reason they were being censored. And you said, yeah. Well, I guess it's good they're censored because they're just talking nonsense. They're distracting the conversation from us very serious people. And you knew that election fraud couldn't be true. So anyone saying it must be stupid, must be evil, must be obsessed with Donald Trump. And so now, while political prisoners rot in prison, 
you pretend their torment is justified because they were dupes. They were just too stupid to see that they were being led down the path of disinformation and they got it all wrong and they acted out. So they deserve whatever's coming to them. Except the thing is, commies, every single foundational belief that you have, every justification you have for saying that these people are conspiracy theorists, that they're wrong, that they're crazy, that they can't judge truth and falsehood. Every justification you have for believing all of this, the basis of all of these beliefs, each and every one of them is crumbling to dust in front of you. And you continue to think that you were right all along, but you can't be right about your conclusions when you can't even explain the premises. And so you create truth for yourself, believing that it lies somewhere in the midst of the state media morass. Well, they feed one side to one group of people and one side to another group of people. So the answer must be somewhere in the middle. Except the answer isn't in there anywhere because they're lying to all of you. That's the purpose of state media propaganda. But you slurp it all up because you don't believe that people like you in the media could lie to people like you. But the thing is, in six months or a year or 18 months or two years, all those people all those very edgy normies that you think are the vanguard of political intellectual conversation keep ending up right where people like me were a long time ago. You ready for a great one? Here you go, commies! Civilization right now is facing a cloud of communism. Okay, and that cloud looks like it's going to pour. It looks like it is going to absolutely pour. Do you under, do you see it? Do you see it when you look at Biden? Is it apparent to you that he is not running this country? How much longer are you going to delude yourself to prove a point? I get it. You're probably a little embarrassed that you spent four years ranting about white supremacy. Okay, but I know you see what's happening right now in this country. I can't believe any person is this dumb. I can't believe any person is this blind. I can't believe that any person has dug their heels so far in their ignorance that they need to hate Trump so much to prove a point to their friends. So they don't embarrass themselves that they're willing to impoverish their entire families and the rest of their lives. Do you understand what it takes to get rid of communism? Do you understand that once you give up your freedoms, and you become a communist country, they are only earned back when blood is shed. Now, if you don't recognize the voice, that is very edgy normie Candace Owens. Now, I don't have too much of a problem with Candace Owens. I don't really think she's very interesting. I don't really think she has original thoughts. I think she basically just scans the Twitter responses and the Telegram feeds and figures out what the smart angle is, and then reforms it into her own voice and puts it out. And on some level, that's probably helpful. But Candace Owens right now is getting to a position in the narrative where I was 15 months ago while people were calling me crazy and telling me that I just don't understand communism. And you can't just go around calling people that. Don't you remember Joseph McCarthy? And I wouldn't even bother mentioning it, except for the fact that so many of the people who are still staying in their little Romney lane, being just a little bit edgy, just slightly provocative, just to get some attention. Those people think listening to Candace Owens and Mike Cernovich is being red pilled. That ain't it, guys. You are still 100% inside the central narrative. 
The truth is reality is moving in a direction and the central narrative has to keep up with reality or be completely exposed. Unless, of course, you are just addicted to the central narrative, like the real dyed in the wool commies, you know, the real stick to your guns commies. Those people are still dead in the center of the central narrative and they might not make it out. So good for you commies to be ahead of that position, but you are still trapped. You're still stuck inside the central narrative. You're not red pilled. If you think Candace Owens calling out the obvious spread of global communism now is provocative. There is nothing provocative about that. That is stating a blatantly obvious truth. All she is being is appropriately honest. If she just noticed that's what's going on, then she's the person she's talking about in that video. I can't believe any person is this blind. I can't believe any person has dug their heels in so far in their ignorance. That's what she says now about a subject many of us understood a very long time ago. And the hilarious thing is that her audience is going to be resistant to that point of view because they have dug their heels so far into their ignorance. It is a strange, strange thing to want to remain wrong longer than you have to just to avoid admitting that the people you derided for the last year and a half were actually right the whole time. But you see, the thing is, Kami, reality is catching up to your position and you do not have a choice. We weren't wrong the whole time. We were right the whole time about all of it. And the thing is, we aren't going to punish you when you come say that. We're actually just sitting here waiting to bring you back into the fold. But to get back to the range, you need a little bit of humility. You can't go around pretending after this long that you're still right. Oh, it's not communism. Don't call it communism. Us rich kids, we're capitalists. We love spending money on worthless shit and then trying to impress girls with it. We all see you guys. We see you. We hear you. We know what you say. It's all good. We're laughing at you, literally at your expense. Sorry, it's true. But it's time to just put all that behind you and say for once, wow, I really had no idea what I was talking about. And that's the thing. You didn't. If you've realized that, if you see that reality is catching up to a narrative everyone else was trying to show you, a year ago, a year and a half ago, all you have to do is relent, okay? Just stop pretending that you still have a point. You don't have a point. You never had a point. People worked harder than you. They have better discernment than you. And they are more honest than you. And that's how we got here. Because the country is listening to people like you rather than the people who are working, discerning, and telling the truth. That's why we're here. And I'm going to continue proving it every day. And I will continue welcoming you back to the fold every day. But you got to let go of all the stupid and evil communist ideas and make amends with all of those people that you shamed and bullied and censored and tried to get fired from their jobs. The people you still try to make fun of because you think it makes you sound smart. No one's buying it. Reality is moving faster than your commie child brain can even attempt to track in the paradigm you're stuck in. So what you got to do is migrate back to America. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Wednesday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. I kind of had the siren effect going and then the, the soft fade out at the end. That was kind of a new one. A little twist on the old one. Hey, commies. Welcome to the show. I'm happy you're here. I hope that you approach this with the humility required in your position 
having been wrong for a very, 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 very long time about the most important issues you will ever face in your entire lives. Hey, commies, do you understand what it means to be wrong about very important things and to all be wrong in the same ways and for the same reasons? Because you refuse to leave the party of false decorum. You are worried about your carefully curated self-image. You are worried what might happen if people think that you are the one saying the no-no words now, that you are the one saying that the position you made fun of six months ago, a year ago, 18 months ago, is now actually the correct position. Do you have the character to embrace the suck, commies? And if you do, welcome back to America. That's where we want you. Now, I want to talk again this week about one of the most basic misunderstandings in recent American history, certainly in the last five years. And what I'm talking about, of course, is the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. You have to understand that that story is something that so many other anti-Trump narratives are piled on top of, okay? That made Trump look desperate to become president desperate to use his presidency to line his own pockets by selling out the country to foreign adversaries. It made his election win look illegitimate in the eyes of the commies listening to the central narrative. It made him look like a sexual degenerate of Biden-esque proportions. And it made the most transparent president in our lifetimes look like he had something to hide. And all of it, every little bit of it, was a lie the entire time. It was a lie that was understood by the top levels of Trump's opposition. Hillary Clinton, Barack Hussein Obama, the fake president, Joe Biden, the CIA, the FBI, all of them knew the entire time that every single bit of the Trump-Russia collusion hoax was indeed a hoax. The fact that they continued to use it and continued to build other stories on top of it is proof that their goal was not to protect America from an imminent threat. The goal was to make sure their power was held permanently. They undermined an American president and threatened American national security by doing so. They weakened our president in the eyes of the world, but nevertheless, he persisted. And what did he do? He put America back in a position of strength relative to our adversaries in the world. And he undid many of the terrible global communist policies of prior administrations. He got rid of the Iran nuclear deal. He got us out of the Paris Climate Accord. And he made it impossible for the global reset agenda to advance during his time as president, which beyond anything else is what's going to eventually save this country. Now, I want to lead you to an article today from Real Clear Politics. This is about as good a summary of the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax as you will ever read. And so I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing with very little commentary. I don't really like to do that that often because I don't want this podcast to just be me reading something to you. But this is actually so thorough and so concise that I think it's worth it. This is Charles Lipson. John Durham is getting close to the jugular. Last week, John Durham's grand jury issued its third criminal indictment in the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. The person who was arrested may be obscure. The news may have been buried after Virginia's bombshell election results. But Durham's move is a big deal. It shows that the special counsel's probe is methodically unraveling a huge conspiracy, seemingly engineered by Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign and implicating James Comey's FBI, either as a willing participant or as utterly incompetent boobs. The latest indictment also damages the mainstream media, which is why so many news outlets have ignored or underplayed it. After all, they broadcast a false story for years and are none too eager to revisit it. Other losers are the prosecutors assembled by Robert Mueller, most of them Democrats, who had reams of this damaging information and ignored it. 
What Durham and a few intrepid reporters are uncovering may well be the most ambitious dirty trick pulled in an American election and its aftermath. The question now is whether Durham can expose the full extent of this malfeasance and charge those who planned it and executed it. Durham's latest indictment charges Igor Danchenko with lying multiple times to the FBI. Danchenko, who worked at the Brookings Institution as a Russia expert, may not be a household name, but he was a crucial player in concocting the false story that Donald Trump was collaborating with the Kremlin to win the White House. The real conspiracy, it turns out, was aimed at Trump and was conducted by the Clinton campaign and her longtime associates. It was financed jointly by Clinton's campaign and the Democrat National Committee. Some leaked emails suggest it was approved by the candidate herself. The FBI continued running with it long after it had ample evidence to know it was a concoction. House Democrats ran with it even longer, basking in fulsome, uncritical media coverage. All of it was false. The Danchenko indictment matters because his bogus information was the heart of the Steele dossier, which in turn was the heart of the anti-Trump investigation. The dossier was compiled by a former British spy, Christopher Steele, who had been hired by people working for Clinton. Steele claimed his information about Trump, including salacious sexual allegations, came from Russian sources. It didn't. It came from Danchenko, who was working at a Washington think tank. As Danchenko admitted to the FBI, much of what he told Steele was old rumors or exaggerations. Some of it appears to have been simply fabricated. Steele incorporated it and Democrats deployed it. The FBI interviewed Danchenko multiple times in January 2017, around the time Trump was taking office. Comey's FBI had already received the dossier and his agents were trying to verify its allegations. They couldn't do so. And Danchenko's admissions told them why his interrogation should have immediately stopped the FBI from using the dossier to investigate Trump. So should a warning from Bruce Orr, the highest ranking career official in the Department of Justice, that Steele was strongly biased. The FBI blew right through these red lights. The Bureau continued to use bogus information in applying for secret warrants from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court to spy on Carter Page and through him on others connected with Trump. And just to take an aside here, what he means by through Carter Page to spy on others is that the FISA warrant allows the FBI to monitor Carter Page's communications and the communications of everyone that Carter Page talks to and their communications and also the communications of everyone they talk to, too. Now, what you can see from that is that this one FISA warrant allows the monitoring of communications of potentially thousands of people. And I'm going to quote an article from National Interest here. This is actually from 2013, okay, before any of this ever started. And I'm going to jump down a bit in this article. The headline, if you want to look it up for yourself, NSA, three hops and you're out, okay? How intrusive is this? It's not really clear. On the face of it, it's pretty astounding. As APs, that's Associated Press, Pete Yost points out, if the average person calls 40 unique people, Three hop analysis could allow the government to mine the records of 2.5 million Americans when investigating one suspected terrorist. You got that? So it's your communications, the communications of anyone you talk to, the communications of anyone else they talk to, and the communications of everyone those people talk to as well. So you can see how that would fan out pretty quickly. All right. So when they talk about the Steele dossier being the basis for FISA warrants, the Steele dossier being a completely fabricated tale on its own was used by the FBI knowingly and taken to the FISA court to get those kinds of warrants so that they could figure out what everybody in the Trump circle was doing. That was the intention. And they used that maliciously to not just spy on an American citizen. They did it to spy on a presidential campaign for the opposition party. Back to real clear politics. Officials told the court falsely that the warrant information was reliable and verified when they knew it was neither. What the warrants say in essence is we need to spy on Carter Page because we think he's an enemy agent. But the FBI already knew he wasn't. That means they were trolling for other information. How did the FBI know Page was on our side? 
because they asked the CIA and were told quite explicitly that Page was helping them, not the Kremlin. The CIA gave that exculpatory information to FBI lawyer Kevin Kleinsmith, who altered the message to say Page was not working for the CIA. His alteration was criminal, and he pled guilty after Durham charged him, except he got off with probation because his sentencing happened after Trump left office and once Biden's DOJ jumped into the picture. As the FBI blundered forward on its political mission, it made other revealing missteps. The most important was Director Comey's meeting with the incoming president in early January 2017. Comey told Trump the FBI had acquired some damning materials about him, but emphasized they were still unverified. As Comey's own aides warned him, that communication could be seen as a kind of blackmail threat, the kind that marked J. Edgar Hoover's tenure. Comey's meeting with the president had another major consequence. Until then, even anti-Trump news outlets had been wary about mentioning the dossier, which the Clinton team had been shopping to them, because they couldn't actually verify any of the vital details. That reticence changed with Comey's briefing, which was news in its own right. The story now became FBI chief briefs President-elect Trump about salacious dossier, revealing damaging info Kremlin could use to blackmail Trump. One online outlet, BuzzFeed, went further. It published the full steel dossier, and the media frenzy began. And it's important that you understand the anatomy of, of what this is, right? They knew, the media outlets knew, that the Steele dossier was suspicious at best. They weren't running with it because they were concerned of its illegitimacy. Rather than making the story about the dossier, they waited until James Comey went and briefed the incoming president about the dossier. And then that was the story. So they didn't actually have to ever attest to the legitimacy of the dossier. All they had to do was report the fact that James Comey, the director of the FBI, went in and briefed Donald Trump about it. And then they let the public assume that because the director of the FBI thought it was, quote unquote, important enough to let the president know about this entirely fabricated dossier that they knew to be fabricated. Now it's a real story. Now the public says, well, the dossier must be true or James Comey wouldn't have briefed the president about it. And that's the sort of thing that sends them off and running. And this is still the style of journalistic communication that certain people in media are still engaged in. One of them specifically is Rachel Maddow. And we talked about how she had Peter Strzok on last week to defend his position relative to these indictments and to defend the FBI's position. And rather than directing their attention to the actual issues and the actual claims, they used the Mueller report as cover for their position. So they don't have to state anything themselves. They don't have to stick their reputation on the things they're saying. They can only refer to the Mueller report and then let the Mueller report be the credible or non-credible aspect of their story. They're just saying, hey, we're just saying what the Mueller report says. And the Mueller report was done by experts. It took them two years. They did a very, very thorough investigation. And now we're going to refer to that as the set of facts rather than claiming to know any facts ourselves. So if you have an argument with it, well, I'm not lying. I'm just saying what the Mueller report says. And of course, they know the Mueller report is replete with lies. And if you think I'm overstating that, just wait. Back to the article. Remember, this whole story was concocted and paid for by Hillary Clinton's campaign and fed to the FBI and the media by her attorneys and associates. The FBI, which should have been able to quickly prove the story was false, plotted on with its investigation and fed the frenzy. Although the dossier was commissioned to sink Trump in November, it was still useful after he won the election. Trump's adversaries could exploit it to hamstring his embryonic administration, and that's exactly what they did. With the wholehearted backing of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff spent three years beating the drum of the Russia collusion hoax. 
Schiff's constant media appearances claiming he had conclusive evidence of Trump-Russia collaboration continued long after he had received classified briefings that demolished his story. The briefer was former director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, and he has confirmed those meetings with Schiff and his Senate counterpart, Mark Warner. No matter to Schiff, who kept repeating his claims and pursuing his full-scale investigation. First the verdict, then the inquiry. It was all part of a four-year-long battle, first to prevent Trump's election, then to undermine his presidency, and finally to damage his chances for re-election. And I played the clip for you yesterday from The View. You can hear Adam Schiff pretending all of this is still true and the parts that have been proven false are things he never could have possibly known, except for the fact that he received the same briefings as everyone else and they all knew. So how did Adam Schiff not know? And of course, he did know. And right now he's trying to cover his ass to evade accountability. And he thinks because of the deals he's been promised on his side of things, Remember, corruption and compromise. He didn't get here by pure luck. He didn't get here by his astounding political acumen. He didn't get here because he's serving his constituents. He got here because he does what the party wants him to do. And he expects that the party will protect him no matter what. He's going to find out he's wrong. The Clinton team launched this operation with professional expertise. The goal was to produce a powerful anti-Trump story using whatever materials they could, then share it with the media to smear Trump and the FBI to launch a major investigation and ensnare Trump. Ideally, the campaign's involvement would be hidden, removed from the damning report by several layers of lawyers, opposition researchers, camp followers, and flacks. To provide that insulation, the campaign used attorney Mark Elias, then at Perkins Coie Law Firm in Washington, where the recently indicted Michael Sussman was a colleague, to hire an opposition research firm, Fusion GPS. That firm, headed by former reporters Glenn Simpson and Peter Fritch, in turn hired Steele, a Brit who had formerly worked for his country's intelligence services, to produce the damning dossier. To translate some Russian materials, Fusion GPS hired Nellie Orr, whose husband, Bruce, learned how biased Steele was and told the FBI to treat Steele and his information warily. Now, let's also just take a second and remember and realize that Mark Elias from Perkins Coie is the Democrat National Committees and the Democrat Communist Party's lead attorney on election fraud. Mark Elias is the one that takes his lawfare organization into all of these places around the country and tries to thwart the efforts toward election integrity. That's Mark Elias. Mark Elias is a Democrat Communist Party hitman. He abuses the law to keep the Democrat Communist Party in power and keep their election fraud apparatus in place. That is what he does. And he also did this. Bureau agents ignored that early warning and to all the others. They quickly learned Steele's material was a mirage, thanks to their interviews with Danchenko. They also confirmed that Steele's dossier depended on Danchenko, so its claims of Russian sourcing were false. By interviewing Danchenko's own sources, they learned that their third-hand statements, which were used in the dossier, were mainly rumors and, quote, bar talk. The prosecutorial team, assembled by Robert Mueller, should have known this too. They had complete access to this exculpatory FBI material on day one and ignored it. A year and a half later, when Mueller himself finally testified before Congress, he didn't even know what Fusion GPS was. By that point, Mueller seemed to have genuine difficulty remembering the details of his own investigation. His team of attorneys had no such excuse. Hired by Mueller's top deputy, Andrew Weissman, and keep an eye on Andrew Weissman. Remember that name. You will be hearing it again in the not so distant future. Hired by Mueller's top deputy, Andrew Weissman, they were among the country's sharpest and toughest prosecutors and the most partisan. The more Durham uncovers, the worse the Mueller team will look. Reviewing this evidence, Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal has concluded the Steele dossier is misnamed. It should be called the Clinton dossier, she says. Since Hillary commissioned it, 
paid for it and had her aides feed it to the media, the State Department and the FBI. It was a full scale disinformation campaign, coherent, well organized and well funded. It was rotten to the core. The question now is whether John Durham can find enough evidence to charge the ones who planned and executed it. The charging documents he filed for Danchenko and Sussman are far more extensive than the necessary minimum. They suggest that Durham has compiled extensive evidence about a broader conspiracy. Will he settle for the capillaries now that he has the jugular in view? And I'm not much of a fan of credentialism, but I want everybody to be clear that this person writing for real clear politics is not a conspiracy theorist. Okay. He is laying out an actual real life conspiracy. Charles Lipson is the Peter B. Ritzma professor of political science emeritus at the University of Chicago, where he founded the program on international politics, economics, and security. So hopefully he's a serious enough person for the very serious normies just approaching the edge of the central narrative. Maybe we should call them the edgers because they like edging so much. And if you get a chance, look up edging in, let's say, Urban Dictionary. <laughs> and uh, please don't tell me what you find and don't share it with anyone ever. Just do it. I promise it describes these guys to a T. And come on, you know what kind of people I'm talking about, right? The kind of people that take Tulsi Gabbard and Candace Owens very, very, very seriously because they have like this weird little crush on them. They're like, oh, she's smarter than the girls I know. And she's so cute. She must be right all the time. This is the future of politics. Like a bunch of 14 year olds with them, with posters of them on their walls. Dorks. Now we're going to stick with the John Durham investigation for most of the podcast today. And the next thing I want to talk about is this appearance from Cash Patel on Newsmax. I interviewed Cash Patel a month or so ago, scan back in the episode list if you haven't heard that yet, and definitely take a listen because Cash Patel knows the full lay of the land on all of this stuff. He was there on the ground throughout this entire time with Congressman Devin Nunes, who acted as basically the anti-Adam Schiff throughout this period. He actually was telling the public what the real story was while Adam Schiff was trying to frame the president of the United States and protect himself. The 2020 election one year ago, uh, Adam Schiff is still tweeting about 2016 <laughs> and 2020 as well. well um, he made an entire career off of that. And now he's now he got caught lying to the American public. And I remember when we were investigating him, when we when we proved that Steele dossier was false, he would personally attack myself and Devin Nunes mm -hmm. uh, to no end, even attack Devin's 90 year old grandmother, right. called me a genocidal dictator in the media, that's if nice. you can believe it. So, yeah. you know, that's Adam Schiff for you. It's unbelievable. So I hear that Jake Sullivan's name is now being yes. uh, brought up. Tell us more about that. What are we learning? This just breaking early. This yeah. Morning. So like the Sussman indictment, we at uh, House Intel interviewed, interrogated 60 witnesses under mm -hmm. oath. Sussman was one of them. My interview of him is in the Sussman indictment of John Durham. I also interviewed under oath Jake Sullivan, and Jake Sullivan said, uh, uh, to paraphrase basically, he had no idea who the Steele dossier was, what Fusion GPS was doing, or the law firm Perkins Coie that the DNC was paying $12 million to. Now, in the Sussman indictment, the Danchenko indictment just last week, it looks like that's also a lie. So could this, I mean, could Jake Sullivan lose his job here? You know what would be the irony? If the current national security advisor got charged with an actual crime, right. unlike what happened to the former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, who was charged with a false crime, and then the Justice Department withheld exculpatory evidence, and it took Rick Grinnell and I a while to declassify the information so, the, so that could come to I was just talking, I, I saw Rick over the weekend, we just had a conversation about this um, remarkable stuff. Have you ever seen a DOJ, and we have about 10 seconds, yeah. so politicized? No, and that's what hurts America the most. I used to yeah. be a federal prosecutor at the DOJ. It's why I left. The lack of internal accountability. Unbelievable. Cash Patel, we'll see you again next hour. We're going to be talking about... Now, before we talk about anything that Cash Patel actually said there, what I want you to note is the way he is approaching his answers. He is stating the case clearly, explaining what it is he's saying and why he's saying that. 
And I want you to think about how Adam Schiff sounds when he's answering questions and how he will always step aside to other issues like we talked about before with Rachel Maddow. Everything is always premised on something else that he knows his audience doesn't understand. He is trying to gain the audience's trust at all times based on other things they don't understand because how their brains will read it is he must know something that I don't know. Therefore, he knows more about this than me. Therefore, he's telling the truth, even though I don't understand it. That is a terrible, terrible way to consume information. And unfortunately, it is the standard for everyone addicted to the central narrative. All of the Obamis, all of the Romneys, all of the normal commies. This is how they operate. They assume that the issue is so complicated that they can't easily understand it. So they have to rely on people like Adam Schiff because he says a bunch of things they don't know. And they don't go and bother and try to figure out whether or not they can support the things Adam Schiff says. They take him at his word because he's on their side and saying the things they like, the things that might help them. Cash Patel has no use for that. He doesn't need that. He just states the truth. And he's telling the truth about Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn was set up. This is true according to the FBI's own notes. Michael Flynn pled guilty because he was being destroyed and his family was being destroyed by these people who set him up. Yes, Donald Trump gave him a pardon, but he should have never been in that situation in the first place. And that's the point. And so when you hear people like Adam Schiff or like Rachel Maddow talk about who Michael Flynn is, what they always say is that Michael Flynn pled guilty to lying to the FBI. They don't say, that Michael Flynn lied to the FBI, they say he pleaded guilty, hoping that will be interpreted as Michael Flynn actually did do this thing and Michael Flynn should be in jail and he's not. That is the narrative that they have forced down people's throats for nearly five years now. It just so happens not to be true. And during that time, Michael Flynn was under a gag order, so he couldn't defend himself. And to go deeper into that issue, if you really want to know, look into Judge Emmett Sullivan, an Obama appointee who is primarily responsible for keeping the air of legal legitimacy around all this stuff. And to just flesh that out a little more for you. Let's go to the Hill. This is May 6th, 2020, an op-ed by Kevin Brock. Did the FBI target Michael Flynn to protect Obama's policies, not national security? Well, that's a very good question. How would you like to be investigated by the FBI because you disagreed with the president's policies? Sounds a little KGB-ish, you might think, and you'd be right because the FBI has zero authority to conduct such an investigation. But the more we learn about the FBI's investigation of Michael Flynn, the more it appears he was targeted precisely because, as the national security advisor to the incoming Trump administration, he signaled that the new administration might undo Obama administration policies, which is kind of what the American people voted for in 2016. Some will say that General Flynn was investigated for legitimate criminal or national security reasons, yet the FBI's ultimate interview of Flynn addressed none of the grounds the FBI used to open the original case against him. For those of us who have run FBI investigations, that is more than odd. Heavily redacted FBI documents that have been released indicate Flynn was one of several Trump campaign members who merited their own subfile investigation under the larger, now infamous, Crossfire Hurricane debacle. Flynn even got his own cool code name, Crossfire Razor. No, the FBI isn't usually that absurd, but absurdity colored that entire period of time. For the record, Flynn clearly exercised poor judgment as a result of being interviewed by the FBI. The larger question is whether the team under then director James Comey had a legitimate basis to conduct the interview at all. FBI documents show that a Foreign Agent Registration Act case was opened against Flynn. 
The stated reasons in rank order for initiating the investigation were that he was a member of the Trump campaign. He had ties to various Russian state affiliated entities. He traveled to Russia and he had a high level top secret clearance for which, by the way, he was polygraphed regularly to determine if he was a spy. None of the reasons listed is unusual activity for the kind of positions he held. Overall, it is pretty thin justification for investigating an American citizen. Yet most chillingly, the Crossfire Hurricane team stated it was investigating Flynn specifically, and that's in quotes, because he was, quote, an advisor to then Republican presidential candidate Donald J. Trump for foreign policy issues, end quote. Let me be clear. That is not a legitimate justification to investigate an American citizen. There's a theme that runs through the entire Crossfire Hurricane disaster, which has been publicly articulated by Comey and his deputy director, Andrew McCabe. And remember Andrew McCabe as well. He is also implicated in this crime against America. They saw themselves as stalwarts in the breach defending America from a presidential candidate who they believed was an agent of Russia. The Comey team's misadventures became a boogeyman pursuit fueled by self-reinforcing paranoia and or bias that saw spies who just happened to belong to one particular political party behind every tree. Explainable and not so unusual behaviors were viewed through a sinister prism of suspicion that ended up hurting a lot of people for no good reason. On January 4th, 2017, two weeks before the Trump inauguration, FBI agents at a lower level where the real work is done prudently tried to close the Flynn investigation, citing the absence of any derogatory information or other facts that would enable the Bureau to keep the case open. Shockingly, the closing document also stated that there never had been any facts that indicated Flynn was possibly acting as an agent of a foreign power. In other words, there was no basis for investigating Flynn in the first place and therefore no justification for any further actions. Despite this, the Comey team intervened, halted the case closure and started laying plans to confront Flynn. The only problem was they had no legal basis to conduct an investigative interview with him. And the article doesn't mention this, so I will. But the day after what was just mentioned, January 4th, right? The day after that, January 5th, 2017, a meeting took place in the Oval Office where Joe Biden suggested that they pursue charges against Michael Flynn under the Logan Act. And now just to kind of supplement that a bit, Sean Davis and Molly and Molly Hemingway in The Federalist, June 24th, 2020, explosive new FBI notes confirm Obama directed anti-Flynn operation. Handwritten notes from fired Former FBI agent Peter Strzok show that Obama himself directed key aspects of the campaign to target Flynn during a January 5th, 2017 meeting in the Oval Office. Okay, I'm just going to read two paragraphs of this. If you want, go ahead and read the rest of it yourself. Newly released notes confirm President Barack Obama's key role in surveillance and leak operation against Michael Flynn, the incoming Trump administration national security advisor. Again, same position that Jake Sullivan holds in the fake administration right now. And he's the next person implicated in the Durham indictment of Igor Danchenko. The handwritten notes, were, which were first disclosed in a federal court filing made by the Department of Justice on Tuesday, show President Obama himself personally directed former FBI Director James Comey and former Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates to investigate Flynn for having routine phone calls with a Russian counterpart. He also suggests they withhold information from President Trump and his key national security figures. You got that? They planned to undermine the transition of power. Remember that every time the state media or some dumb edgers try to convince you that Trump had a problem with the peaceful transfer of power. The handwritten notes from fired former FBI agent Peter Strzok appear to describe a January 5th, 2017 Oval Office meeting between Obama, Vice President Joe Biden, Comey, Sally Yates, and then National Security Advisor Susan Rice. The meeting and its substance were confirmed in a bizarre Inauguration Day email Rice wrote to herself. Why would she write an email to herself? And if you recall, Trump actually confronted Joe Biden about this on the debate stage and called him out to his face. 
Biden had absolutely no response because there is no response because what Donald Trump said was true. And so Chris Wallace jumped in and saved him back to the hill. What they suddenly did have was a phone conversation between Flynn and Sergey Kislyak, then Russia's ambassador to the U.S., intercepted a week prior. This set off alarm bells in the Obama administration because the discussion signaled a departure by the new administration from Obama foreign policy on two key issues. Flynn's participation in the Kislyak conversation was not illogical, given his new role as incoming national security advisor. The call contained no reasonable criminal or national security violation on his part. Nevertheless, Comey, McCabe and others appeared anxious to find a way to justify interviewing Flynn. Four pages of FBI notes and emails released within the past week seem to indicate that the Comey team strategized around an interview approach that might elicit false statements from Flynn, which could be used to damage him. You got that? He was set up intentionally by the FBI with the Obama Biden administration's knowledge. These recently released notes and emails are over three years old. That they weren't turned over to Flynn's defense team in a timely manner is a legal earthquake that the court will have to sort out. But as an aside, remember Emmett Sullivan. So does the court sort these things out in the name of justice? Of course not. They do the job of the global communists. It's not clear whether this was a failure by the FBI or the special counsel, but the FBI is sporting the black eye right now. The slow dribble of damaging revelations is doing nothing to rehabilitate the FBI's reputation. There is now no doubt that the Comey team wanted a more confrontational interview about the nature of Flynn's phone call with Kislyak. It is clear that the outgoing administration was upset with the substance of that call and President Obama's dislike of General Flynn was well known. What's less clear is whether the Comey team targeted Flynn for an interview at the behest of the Obama White House or simply to curry favor. Either option is abhorrent and each should be investigated. In the end, the Comey team forced a meeting with Flynn, ignoring protocols and, in Comey's own words, took advantage of a new disorganized Trump administration. They had no legal basis for being in Flynn's office and confronting him. The FBI 302 documenting the interview of Flynn shows that it did not probe possible violations of any criminal statute or examine counterintelligence issues. Instead, it focused on exploring what the Trump administration might do differently than the Obama administration. In other words, it was an interview about policy differences between two presidencies. If one were to chisel a Ten Commandments of the FBI and descend with them, Charlton Heston-like, from Mount Capitol Hill, the first commandment would read, Thou shalt not involve thyself with the politics of the White House. A politically manipulated FBI is a threat to the nation. An independent FBI is and has been a blessing to the nation and is one of the key reasons America is different from totalitarian regimes. That is exactly why the Comey legacy must be thoroughly examined and reforms enacted as needed. It is vital to all of us. Kevin R. Brock, former assistant director of intelligence for the FBI, was a special agent in the FBI for 24 years and principal deputy director of the National Counterterrorism Center. Isn't that incredible? Another conspiracy theorist. And in the coming days and weeks, you will hear more accusations about Michael Flynn from people like Adam Schiff, because this is the sort of thing they must rely on. They have to find some place where all of the corruption and criminality that occurred by their own doing was somehow legitimate. And they have to try to win this in the court of public opinion. And remember, do not lose sight of the meaning of this. Okay? These are crimes against America. They undermined an American president intentionally, a duly elected president, not the illegitimate one that sits up there now. And they did it by fabricating evidence, fabricating these stories, political hatchet jobs, political dirty tricks. Joe Biden's presidency has been undermined since day one, because not only do we know that Joe Biden is illegitimate, every other country in the world knows that Joe Biden is illegitimate, especially those countries with illegitimate leaders themselves, which is all of the countries in the global communist agenda. Because the leaders of these countries hand their national sovereignty over 
to the global communist order. And then they do what they're told. And the number of countries involved in that is always growing. These people steal elections all around the world. It is so, so strange that Americans can simultaneously believe that the U.S. intelligence community and the U.S. military, for instance, are able to topple foreign leaders and install governments in foreign nations. But they think that somehow that's impossible here. It's not impossible. It's exactly what happened, and it's exactly the same playbook. It is always the same color revolution playbook. We see it in other places around the world. Belarus, Myanmar, Peru, Ethiopia. All the same people, for all the same reasons, destabilizing all these nations in the same way, for the same reason, so that they can install their people in leadership positions, and one by one, bring all of these nations into the global order, whether their citizens want it or not. The United States of America has been handled in the exact same way. And I want to hit one more current article to cap this whole thing off. Okay. This is from yesterday, Real Clear Investigations, by Eric Felton, F-E-L-T-E-N. New twists in Durham probe. FBI Danchenko recordings and suspicions Fiona Hill lied. The indictment of Igor Danchenko, the primary subsource of Christopher Steele's infamous dossier, reveals that the FBI electronically recorded several previously undisclosed interviews with the Brookings Institution researcher. Separately, it raises suspicions, according to congressional sources, that his Brookings superior, Fiona Hill, may have committed perjury when testifying about Steele during President Trump's first impeachment. Oh, how delicious. The existence of electronic records of Danchenko speaking to the FBI far more extensively than previously known creates the possibility that much more will come out about the origins of the Steele dossier and the way the opposition research was weaponized and those under scrutiny in special counsel John Durham's investigation of the origins of the Trump-Russia affair will have to wonder whether information to which they previously attested jibes with the Danchenko recordings. According to Durham's November 3rd indictment of Danchenko, the FBI conducted interviews with him in March, May, June, October, and November of 2017, well beyond the three days of interviews at the beginning of 2017 previously disclosed in the Trump-Russia affair. Deep in the Justice Department Inspector General's report on surveillance court abuses, page 186, there is a passing reference to the interviews with the primary subsource in March and May 2017. Unlike the early interviews, which were memorialized in a consolidated write-up of notes taken by agents and provided to lawmakers in heavily redacted form, at least three of the later interviews were recorded legally, but without Danchenko's knowledge. Those conducted March 16th, May 18th, and June 15th. The indictment is silent on whether the October 24th and November 20, uh, 16th interviews were also surreptitiously recorded. It has been known since July 2020 that Danchenko was the primary source of spurious rumors and alcohol lubricated gossip about Donald Trump compiled by opposition researcher and former British spy Steele. The indictment unsealed last week states that in 2010, it was think tank employee one Fiona Hill of Brookings who introduced Danchenko to UK person one. That is Steele. Okay. Fiona Hill introduced Christopher Steele and Igor Danchenko. The next year, Danchenko began working as a contractor for Steele's company, Orbis, which the indictment refers to as UK investigative firm one. Hill, a longtime intelligence analyst who became a deputy assistant on the Trump administration's National Security Council, was a key witness in the Ukraine-related impeachment of President Trump. As part of the impeachment proceedings, Hill gave closed-door testimony to House lawmakers and investigators for the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, the Committee on Oversight and Reform, and the Committee on Foreign Affairs. During that testimony in October 2019, Hill answered many questions emphatically and apparently without leaving herself wiggle room. Hill did not express the sort of memory fog that often afflicts well-coached, evasive witnesses. Asked whether she was, quote, aware of any interaction between Mr. Steele and Ukrainians, end quote, Hill did not say, quote, to the best of my recollection, or I don't remember specifically, or even a simple no. 
Instead, she expanded her answer to deny not only any knowledge of steel and Ukrainians, but to deny any knowledge of anything steel related. I have no knowledge whatsoever of how he developed that dossier. None. I just want to state that. That is a direct quote from Fiona Hill. Lawmakers are particularly interested in that statement. The Danchenko indictment states that Hill introduced Danchenko both to Steele and to an unnamed public relations executive since identified as Charles Dolan Jr., a Hillary Clinton ally. Republican members of the House Permanent Select Committee are questioning whether Hill could have had, quote, no knowledge whatsoever, end quote, of how the dossier was developed when she had a central role in connecting those key players. Real Clear Investigations was unable to reach Hill through her former attorney. It's hard to believe Fiona Hill introduced Danchenko both to Steele and to Dolan, yet had no idea of the purpose of the introductions she herself was making or what resulted from those introductions. A source familiar with the thinking of House Republicans tells Real Clear Investigations. So, yes, Republicans on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence are taking a look at that. So what do we have? Fiona Hill, one of the key witnesses at impeachment hoax number one, perjured herself in the impeachment trial, but is also still implicated in the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. So now she's got two major problems. And we haven't even gotten to Colonel Alexander Vindman yet. But that's a guy to keep your eye on in the coming days and weeks and months as well because he too lied in the impeachment hoax. And of course, we just mentioned yesterday how Adam Schiff took it upon himself to read a made up transcript, a transcript he literally did make up on his own into the congressional record. He was giving his interpretation of how the phone call went. And then immediately after that, the White House released the actual transcript of the phone call. That is how much of an obvious liar and fraud Adam Schiff is and criminal, I might add, and traitor to his country, I might add as well. And so what do we have here? Edgers, loyal subscribers and supporters to the central narrative. What do we have, you geniuses who always know who the conspiracy theorists are? And it's never, ever you because you, you are responsible. You are so responsible with your knowledge and your language. And you know you're responsible because all you ever do is repeat everything you're told. Gosh, what Galaxy brained magnificent intellects you all must have. So edgy. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic, and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that. 
at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!